All right, so um, <clears throat> this morning, as we enter into the fifth chapter of John's first letter, we uh, see repeated a, a word, one that we're going to, um, well, it's going to be, it's, it is part of the title of this morning's message, and, and the word is overcomer, overcomer. The title of this morning, me, morning's message is True Overcomers. Um, overcomers that, in, in God's eyes, that truly matter. We all want to be overcomers, don't we? We do. We want to, we want to overcome. But what we ought to pay attention is how it is that God addresses us as his people what it truly means to be overcomers. That's what we need to really focus on and also pay attention to what God does not emphasize. What he doesn't focus in on and, and repeatedly address over and over and over again. We've got to pay attention to those things. And so I pray that through this, that perhaps we would get a better understanding of what it means to be an overcomer in Christ and how it should be expressed in our own lives. This is only a portion of it. We've gone through now four chapters of 1 John. And so the first four chapters, we don't now dismiss and go into the fifth chapter. We take into account the first four chapters and then continue on into the fifth chapter. As we understand and we realize, hopefully acknowledge and understand and apply what it is to truly know that we have eternal life in Christ. So let's begin by reading in 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. The Apostle John writes, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father lo loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Oh, Father, as we um, enter into this time of study, Lord, I pray above all that Lord, you would have our undivided attention and that we would gain an understanding or perhaps even a work of conviction in our own hearts that um, we would more closely resemble you in our lives and, and bless you, honor you, and glorify you in the manner in which we conduct ourselves, not only toward you, but that we show sincerity, that we are genuine as we love others as well, because you have commanded us to do so. And Lord, your commandments are not burdensome. And so, Father, teach us. Help us to understand. <clears throat> and I pray, Lord, that you would have your way with us this morning. I ask, Lord, that you would minister to us by the power of your spirit and your word. In Jesus' name we pray, 
Amen. So we need to find out, uh, we need to realize, uh, we need to understand who is a true overcomer. If I would ask the question to you, are you an overcomer? What would you say? If I ask the question, if you find yourself failing or falling short, do you want to be an overcomer? Do you, do you have the desire to overcome those things that are difficult, those problems in your life? And of course, we would all say yes, right? We want to be overcomers. The dictionary defines an overcomer as a person who succeeds in dealing with or gaining control of some problem or difficulty. Uh, everyone deals with problems and difficulties, right? We all do. If you're not today, tomorrow's a new day. <laughs> Nandisa sings a song titled Overcomer. There are books titled Overcomer. There's a movie titled Overcomer. And there are professional speakers, motivational speakers that are making tons of money. Teaching others how to be overcomers. But these people are teaching people how to be overcomers in the things of the world. The question, again, that we ought to ask ourselves, is this what matters to the Lord? Is this, are these the things that are truly of great value to Him, that honor and glorify Him? Those are things always that we need to ask ourselves. What is of, of importance to the Lord? Because we ask the question, I know in our own hearts, you know, who doesn't want to be that person who succeeds in dealing with or gaining control of some problem or difficulty? Especially when there are plenty of things to overcome. In those moments when you feel overwhelmed by certain issues that are problems, that are difficult, trials, tribulations, tests, you're feeling hard pressed, feeling like you're going to be crushed. A problem is a matter or a situation regarded as unwelcome or harmful and needing to be dealt with and overcome. How do you define problems and difficulties? It is, let me ask you this. Is life difficult in general? Is it hard? For anyone who says it's easy, just let me know how you do it. <laughs> it's, life in general is hard and difficult, isn't it? I mean, you get to a point, you know, we have this word now. I never heard it growing up. You know, when, when at some point you have to adult. Like as if it's something you do, not something you are. I have to adult now. It's like, What? Oh, you mean you have to take responsibility for your own life. Oh, I understand. You have to provide for yourself. You have to be accountable and, and, and be consistent in how you live your life. No, life is difficult. It is not easy. It is hard. But we know who holds the answers to life and godliness. 
We can draw near to the Lord. We can look into his word. We can understand it and then apply it to our lives. And what happens is if we gain this knowledge and then we have this understanding of what it means. And then we apply it to our lives. And for us, what that knowledge becomes is wisdom. It becomes this this foresight that has been entrusted to us. It's a gift. It's given to us. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Oh, wisdom is to be treasured above all riches here on earth. Is that what we pursue? And does it reflect in the manner in which we conduct ourselves on a daily basis? Do we draw near? Like if I were to tell you, Every morning, if you get up at five in the morning, that's a bit early. Five in the morning, you're asking a bit much there. I got to get up at five in the morning. Yes, you have, you have to get up at five in the morning. Five in the morning. But I promise you, I guarantee you that if you walk this path, and under that tree, just a short distance away, under that tree is this treasure. And every day you get to go, and it, it will always be there. It will be there every day. But you got to get up at five. You got to go and, and go to that tree, gather the treasure. And then you have it. You can come back. It's yours. Would you do it? It's gold. I'm up at five. It's dark. I don't care. It's cold. I don't care. I'm going. I'm getting that gold, right? It's right there every morning. Gold, silver. Oh, there's, there's just, and, and, there's, and there's chicken eggs under there. Yeah, right? Would you go? I think probably 100% of us would probably get up and go. I'm just thinking that it would be worth us getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning, going and gathering that treasure. God tells us that his word is to be treasured even more than that. Why don't you get up? Why don't you go gather? Why don't you spend time with him? He's your, not only your creator, but he's your savior. Is he not worth it? Okay. It's this love and hate relationship with technology. <laughs> But he's worth it, isn't it? Isn't he? We got to put things in perspective this morning. I know that he, God is interested in the details of our lives. I, I know that. But honestly, we spend too much time thinking about ourselves and our own difficulties. When he simply desires, come to me, all who labor 
and are heavy laden. And you will find rest. You will find peace in Christ. And yet we don't come to him. It's all about, but these are my problems. This, this is unique to me. And he says, come, come. You'll find it again. You'll find rest. You'll find peace. Keep coming. You'll find it. Treasure my word above all. Oh, it's, I'm everything that you need. It's more valuable than anything you'll find on this earth. Second Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. If you lack wisdom, God tells us to ask Him. Just ask Him. You want wisdom? You lack it? Go ask. James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But we must consider the fact that these verses were written to the church. I think oftentimes we think these things are written to the world, to everyone. Like, these things are not written to the world. They're for you, the church, the people of God, the people who have surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ, who look to Jesus as Lord and Savior. This was not written to unbelievers, but to believers. Because even as we consider what we looked at as far as James 1.5 and then 2 Peter 1.3, if we back up, we see who these letters were addressed to. James, he says in 1.1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. And he goes on from there. And launches right into my brethren, counting all joy when you fall into various trials. <laughs> yeah, this life is difficult. I know we're going to be faced with trials and various difficult things. Well, Peter, he was one who knew tests and trials very well. And in 2 Peter 1.1, he began with this, Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. So these letters are addressed to the church. In fact, to believers, James exposes and explains exactly where quarrels and fights among the body of Christ the church come from. This all, by the way, leads into and helps us understand how it is that we ought to express our love for God, the Father. In James 4.1, 4, uh, it says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passion. See, our passions and our asks should look differently when we realize that we're, we're asking to spend it on ourselves and not for the glory of God. And then he goes on to say, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. We make ourselves enemies of God when we seek out the friendship of the world above him. 
Oh, we want to receive the accolades of the world above knowing that we are simply faithful to the Lord. So while everyone desires to possess the knowledge and understanding of life and godliness, while everyone desires to have wisdom, that, that wisdom that is necessary to overcome problems and difficulties, God desires that we first overcome the biggest and most serious problem and difficulty that we cannot accomplish ourselves. Eternal damnation, we cannot do it in our own strength. We, we must know there are too many people within the church that are indeed playing church. You're coming and you're asking to spend on your own desires. Whatever, if you're coming even, I know that if you're coming because uh, your, your marriage is broken and you want your marriage healed, God is able I know that you have, if you have health issues and you're coming, that's why you're coming. Know that God can heal you. He's able to do that. But that's not the primary reason that he wants you to hear what he has to say to you. Because he can heal your broken marriage. He can heal you from your health issues. And you can still be going to hell because you have not surrendered your life to Christ. First and foremost, church, we need to make sure, again, and I've been saying this, I don't want to, I, I'm not casting doubt. I don't want to encourage you to doubt your salvation. I want you to be sure of your salvation. If you have no fruit whatsoever, no fruit of your salvation, then if I were you, I would ask God, God, there's, there's something wrong with my own heart. I have no conviction. I sit in here week in and week out, and there's, there's no response to it. Lord, I desire to be yours. Give me a new heart, a new perspective on life, new hope. Make me new in Christ. Please save me. I repent of my sins. I confess to you that my sins separated me, have separated me from you. We are not coming to church to obtain our best life now. That's not what Jesus, Jesus told us very clearly. He told his disciples, he tells us today, in this world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I've overcome the world, right? Because he says, in him, you will have peace in the midst of tribulation. Now, the one thing that he wants us to know is that we have eternal life and that we know that by the manner in which we live our lives. Specifically, this morning is our love for him, obedience to his word, and our love for the brethren. If we love God and have surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ and loving his people and overcoming difficulties and problems will be grounded and based upon his word and always addressed with the intention of glorifying Jesus as Lord and Savior, glorifying him. So that means that if there, if there are difficulties amongst us, that we can at least agree, we can come together and agree 
on the Word of God. Right? And that we are desiring to be obedient to Him. And it's not burdensome. Today we're focusing on who God defines as true overcomers. And the number one, as we start out, it's that born-again love. The born-again love God and his people. Let's read again verse 1. It says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Whoever. So what does it mean to be born again? Well, let's take a look at John chapter 3. In verse 1, Nicodemus had the same question. Nicodemus uh, is a Pharisee, a religious leader. In Jesus' day, uh, he was a ruler of the Jews, and so he came to Jesus at night. Uh, this is apparently where they got the show Nick at Night. It was first uh, brought up at that point. It's Nicodemus at night coming to Jesus and asking him what it means to be born again. It's, it's interesting, the exchange. So pay attention because this, this exchange helps us understand that even the, the rulers, the, the, uh, those who were religious leaders who knew the word very well, had to come to Jesus for understanding. It says in John chapter 3, verse 1, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel. That I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. And so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. There's a physical healing that took place when there was a cross with the serpent wrapped around. 
In the time of Moses, and people were healed as they looked upon it, but he said, oh, the Son of Man must be lifted up. In fact, he will draw all men unto himself. Why? Because the expression of God's love is, is right there. It's the, it's the pinnacle. God demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He was held high for all to see. He shed his blood for the remission of sins. Whoever believes in him may have eternal life, as we read in verse 15. It's whoever surrenders to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Romans 10, 9 and 13 says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. To believe that Jesus is the Messiah in the general sense is not salvation Even the demons believe and they tremble. So that's not what brings salvation. I believe that there is a God, not salvation. I believe in God in general. Do you believe in the historical account of Jesus, that he existed? Okay. None of that will save you. We are to give to surrender completely our whole lives to Jesus, to trust in him, trusting that he is able to forgive you, to grant you a place in heaven by God's grace, demonstrated and secured by his full payment of his shed blood on the cross. That is to know salvation. It's a whole, a partial surrender is no surrender at all. It is not. Uh, I've told you guys time and time again for anyone who's riding the fence Satan owns that fence because Jesus says you're either for me or against me you've either fully surrendered or you've not surrendered at all to go back and forth back and forth those are the things that I, I, I ask you I plead with you please Check your heart. Where are you with the Lord? Are you all in? Are you fully surrendered? Or do you somewhat love the world perhaps more than him? And it's shown by how you live. The desires of your own heart. Because to know salvation is to know his love personally. You will have a new desire to please him, to do what honors him, because you understand how it is that he first loved you, that you have been forgiven eternally. That's truly beyond comprehension, and yet it is true. I've been forgiven of my sins by God's grace. The first thing to ask yourself to see if you have been born of God, that is born again, is how is it that I'm loving God's people? Did you know that we are to prefer one another? How do you love God's people? Hey, listen, lip service without action is self-deception. We can say it all we want, but if 
we don't act upon that, it's just, it means nothing. You're only deceiving yourself. Genuine love of the brethren is to serve and worship Jesus Christ together and honor him by loving each other. In fact, in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12, It says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I would encourage you, if you have not highlighted, if you highlight your Bible or underline or put a little asterisk or a little note next to that, that you, you circle that. Look over that. Like before even coming to church on a Sunday or a Wednesday night, read through that. This is what the church ought to look like. It sounds to me like we ought to interact. Doesn't, doesn't it sound like that to you? Do not forsake the assembling of ourselves. Why? So we can do things like this. Things like that. You cannot say you love the Father, but not love the brethren. I'm going to repeat that. So we need to get through our, our thick skulls. You cannot say you love the Father and not love the brethren. You cannot. It's not my words. This is what is written in the Word of God. The born again love God and His people. So how do we know we love God's children? Well, verse 2 says, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. Stop there for it. We're just going to like just walk this through. I love God's word because it's clear. It's, it's true. It's to the point. We cannot argue with it. How do we know we love God's children? Well, we love God and obey his commandments. In James chapter 2, verse 14, James writes, What, is, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Kind of sounds like we can be saved by works, but he goes on to explain. He goes on. He gives an example. He says, for example, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace and be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? 
So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So he gives us an example. For example, if you tell someone, can you imagine it's, uh, I was, uh, uh, yesterday we were spending some time with um, uh, just our, our beloved brother and sister, uh, Jim and June Hesterly, and we were, we, were, uh, we were talking just about just our families and all that. And so their, um, their son lives in, in Colorado. And uh, just the other day, it was like a, a negative, like unbelievable amount. Any negative, like under zero, is just like painfully cold, right? It, it is hard to breathe. And if you've ever been in that weather, you know that you cannot go outside for any extended period of time. I mean, you're out there for five minutes. You need to go back in for, like, for your life. <laughs> Can you imagine someone being in need? Oh, you have plenty of jackets. You have plenty that, that, that can keep them warm. You say, hey, be warm and be filled. I will pray for you. And you close the door. Would that express uh, compassion for that person? It, would you, so what good would, the, would those words be? I love you, brother. I love you, and I wish you the best. It wouldn't, right? And that's why he says, likewise, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. You can say all you want that you love God. But if you're not obeying his commandments and loving each other, then it doesn't matter what comes out of your mouth. James goes on to say, verse 18, But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father? justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. He gives us some very practical examples of how it is that faith apart, faith apart from works is just, it's useless, it's dead, it means nothing. Ecclesiastes 12.13 says, The end of the matter all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, it says, And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. And Jesus said in John 14.15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. We know that we love the children of God when we love God and simply obey his commandments as it pertains to the manner in which we love the brethren. He defines it. He describes it. He lays it out. We don't. We, we don't get to love each other on our own terms. We try. 
We need to stop. We are to esteem others more than ourselves, even at our own expense. Okay? We are to serve one another. In, in fact, we are to try to outdo one another, like compete, in other words. I can outdo you in how you serve me. We have a beautiful example in Jesus Christ as he stooped down to wash the feet of his disciples. There are things that we're not willing to do. There are some things that just, I, I won't do it in serving others. We should lay down our lives for each other is not this the greatest expression of love? Why not live for each other? We are to disciple others, encourage each other, admonish each other, teach each other, and even, if necessary, rebuke each other in love. Remember, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy, according to Proverbs 27.6. We are to forgive one another, and so much more. We could, we could go on with that. But the point is, is, is obedience. If you are obedient to God's commandments in loving the brethren, then you know that you're loving God's children the right way. And you are blessing the Lord. And you're proving your love to Him. You're demonstrating it to Him. But pastor, it is so difficult to love people. <laughs> Stop it. We, we make up all these excuses. We, we do, don't we? We do, and I'm including myself. That's why it's like, man, the Lord had to minister to me, you know, in this. I, I continually have to subject myself and yield myself to his sanctifying work. I want to reflect his glory. I, I want to be more like Jesus in the manner in which I live my life. All the way to the day that I am with him for all eternity. I need a lot of work. A lot of work. Well, he goes on in verse 3. It says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. God's commandments don't irk the born again. Those who are God's children don't find God's commandments to be burdensome. They don't act as if their obedience is so hard. Oh, Man, I'm obeying God, but man, is it hard. I'm sacrificing so much. Yeah, you, no, you're just like denying the flesh, reckoning it dead. That's what you're doing. It's like a child that is told to do something. Anyone, parents in here? Okay. You know, you tell a child to do something, they don't want to do it. It's, this is the posture, right? Oh, you know, it's there. And then you tell them to do something, and it's now. I'm just going to act this out for your sake. Starts like this. But why? I don't want to, right? And then the arms, I won't do that. But they start like flailing. Like, what is, 
what got into that child of yours, <laughs> right? So we tell our spouse, because they're no longer ours at that point. It's your son, yeah, your daughter. It's like weird, like what happened to you? Just go do it. Go do it now. To them, their parents' instructions are burdensome. You've just inconvenienced me, mom, dad. Your instructions, they're irking me. I don't like them. I want to go back to doing whatever I was doing, even if it's nothing. When you become a parent, you'll see how ridiculous this looks. Don't be this child with God. Because can you imagine? I mean, how we, look, that's so shameful. You know, delayed obedience is disobedience. You know, at the moment that we, that we hear God's word and then he reveals to us, yeah, that, that way in which you're conducting yourself is not honoring, oh, then immediately we should be willing to confess and to repent. Okay, all right. A person who genuinely loves God, obeys his commandments, does them, and those commandments are not burdensome. They are kept because they bless the one who saved us. And that obedience shows that we love him. And don't knowingly live in disobedience because it's difficult to love others. That's a whole point. We're in this together. We're in this together, and so learn to love others in a sacrificial way, meeting them right where they're at. Because in 1 John 1, 6, it says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 10, it says, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling, but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And then he goes on to say, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. I remind you of Jesus' words in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, which he said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you find God's commandments to be burdensome and you find it difficult to love God's people, then there is not something wrong with God or his commandments. There's something wrong with you and your heart. You need to repent. I'm, I'm calling you as the word of God calls us to do in that moment when you realize that, repent. You can't sugarcoat it. Oh, you'll work it out in time. I know it's difficult. It's a problem that you need to work through. No. In the moment, repent. Repent. I think there's a lack of that call 
to repent. Church, we need to repent of these things. Quit complaining and start confessing and find joy in the fellowship of the saints. Love one another. I, I tell you, when we're loving righteously, and there's, there's freedom in that, there's such a joy in that. Well, let's continue verse 4. It says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? The born again have overcome the world. Take heart. We in Christ have overcome the world. Again, not to uh, ignore or not acknowledge the fact that we do deal with issues and God is interested in the details of our lives. I think we just spend too much time focusing on how to be overcomers in a worldly way and not enough time acknowledging that as Christians, we are overcomers in Christ. And to simply obey the word and apply it to our lives in faith. To hold in our minds that anyone born of God could be defeated is to not know who God is at all. Can you be defeated by Satan if you're in Christ? The answer is a resounding no. No. Are you afraid of the world? Perhaps a big balloon flying at 60,000 feet. Are you afraid of that? We're not afraid of the economy or anything that's happening right now. It, it's, it's, all, it's all going according to plan. It really is. Jesus is coming soon. Are you ready for him? 1 John 4, 4 says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Romans 8.31 says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Oh, we, we should be walking confidently in the Lord and then expressing our love for him because we know that we have been purchased by the lifeblood of Jesus Christ. We don't belong to ourselves. We belong to him. We belong to him. So what is the key to knowing this, this victory? And we, we read it. The key to knowing this victory is an abiding faith, not a one-and-done faith. In other words, if, if for a moment you experienced what may or may not have been a moment of salvation, it was emotional, it was all of that, but there's, there's no fruit whatsoever after that, and you don't care to walk with the Lord, you completely dismiss Him. You could be, you could be, a prodigal child could be, but it could be also that you never were his to begin with. Do you want to take that chance? I don't. I remember when I turned my back on the Lord, and I look back and I think, did I ever belong to him in the first place? I sure am glad that I did not die in between. I, I don't want to find out that way. I, I want to know today that I am his and he is mine. It's an abiding faith. A faith that expresses a trust in Jesus Christ daily. A complete surrender to his lordship. 
C.H. Spurgeon said this, quote, temporary Christians are not really Christians, close quote. Scripture backs that up. Or more importantly, he simply, that's a response to Scripture as it stands. Our faith in Christ is to overcome the damnation we once knew while we were of the world. True overcomers will not be moved by tribulation, trials, or tests. They will be able to discern them and then act in obedience to God's word, knowing that they are victorious in Christ by God's grace through faith in him. John 16, 33, Jesus said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. To overcome. Those who are true overcomers in Christ, born again, love God and love his people, obey his commandments, and they are not burdensome, and know that they, in Christ, have overcome the world. I'll leave you with this in Luke chapter 10. We heard uh, the exchange between, between Nicodemus and Jesus. This, was an, is, uh, this one is an exchange between um, a lawyer who was putting Jesus to the test and Jesus. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law. It's interesting, Jesus referred back to the word. He asked him, how do you read it? It's important how we interpret the word of God. We allow him to interpret it. And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. In other words, he knew it, but he wasn't doing it. He hadn't placed his, his trust entirely in the one who was before him. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have to tell him, do this and you will live. For you, my brothers and sisters, are you, are you doing this? Are you walking this out? Do you know, do you know this um, active and personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Because it is expressed through our obedience. Those, that obedience is not burdensome to follow out and work out and live out his commandments? And do you know that it is your abiding faith in Jesus Christ, your, your total surrender, that that is how you come to know eternal life in Jesus Christ, confessing your sins, repenting of your sins, coming to him? I, I would ask that you please spend time with the Lord. 
and, and ask him if there's any way that you're expressing anything other than complete trust in and surrender to Jesus Christ. And then repent of those things and ask him to give you the strength by his spirit to live differently without fear and just complete trust in Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you. Oh, Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your long-suffering with us. And I do ask, Father, that you would help us. Help us to walk with you, live our lives, reflecting a gratitude and a joy in our Savior, Jesus Christ, enjoying a relationship with you, a life that, Lord, of a people whose eyes are completely fixed upon you, that nothing moves us, that when tests do come, we recognize them and for what they are. And Lord, we, we simply, again, yield to you and allow you to continue to refine us, to strengthen us, and to build us up, that we would continue to be formed into those vessels that are used by you to fulfill your plans and purposes for us. And so, Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your love for us. And I do ask, Father, that if there's anyone here who has not come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that this morning be the day of salvation. Lord, we know, we know that you desire that none should perish, but that everyone would come to know repentance in their own lives. That they would cry out to Jesus Christ to be Lord and Savior. And for your church to be strengthened, built up, and stirred up for love and good works. We thank you, Lord. Thank you for speaking to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.